Thank you for tuning in to the Bully Pew podcast brought to you by Protestia.com, where you can go, of course, to get all of the latest in Christian polemics and discernment news. I am your host, David Morrill, and you are riding with me across Metro Denver on a pretty mild sunny day. It's actually a really, really nice weather. It's supposed to get cold tomorrow, I hear. But this is Colorado, and that's what um, that's what happens. Although, have you noticed that everybody who lives anywhere will always talk about how crazy the weather is where I live, as if it isn't crazy everywhere? It's that's a that's a particular problem around here in the, in Colorado in the Denver area. I think people talk about the weather around here like it is it is uh, a roller coaster in some some sort of special way that it isn't a roller coaster everywhere else. And I'm pretty sure the weather's just um, you know unpredictable uh, everywhere. So uh, anyway, I digress. We're going to talk today about, while you're riding with me across Metro Denver, we're going to be talking about uh, what I like to call the, the, the um, Abuse Incorporated. Let's, let's, let's start with that descriptor, Abuse Incorporated, and the tyranny of victimhood that is not only prevalent, I mean, it's, it, there have been places where it's been incredibly prevalent in institutions, the SBC probably being the one I'm most familiar with and closest to the situation where the tyranny of victimhood has, is, is threatening to uh, destroy the, you know, what, what remains of the unity of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, but it really is a, it's, 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 the tyranny of victimhood is more a result of well, it's a re- it's a result of a failure to think and act with moral clarity and courage from um, society at large, certainly, but in Christian conversations, in Christian circles, uh, especially institutional leaders, especially pastors, there is a refusal to act with moral clarity and conviction and with with courage because long ago it's been i mean a long time now um churches have have really recast themselves not as um purveyors brokers of truth in a hostile culture but tried to position themselves as friends of the culture and of course our culture being very um, commercial and materialistic in a lot of ways has resulted in churches being the same. Churches transforming themselves from um, you know places that are markedly different in all of the ways that it matters to be different culturally from the world, and instead now are kind of like Jesus-flavored versions of the world. They offer basically the same things that the world offers, but the Jesus-branded versions. They still are offering self-actualization, positive emotions, um, therapy, um, community, a sense of belonging and things um, that, are, that are really, you know, and, and, and they're really no different than what the world offers. But in the church, they just, they're, they're still infused with some level of, of um, Christian identity or Jesus branding. And what we've found now in, in postmodernism in a, a cultural time or, or societal time or time in the world where um, not, only, not only is the truth of God's word, the truth of, of reality as he created it, um, being challenged, but the, the truth itself, the, the actual um, 
the actual existence of truth itself is being challenged. So it's not just saying, hey, what you as Christians believe or what the Bible says is untrue, and here's the actual truth over here. It's truth itself is not a, a reliable construct anymore for thought or human experience. And so we, we find ourselves talking to people that they, they really, they don't, they don't particularly know what they believe, except that belief doesn't actually matter. And that's a very difficult situation in which we find ourselves. And the, the only, the only source for truth that many people go to is their own internal, their own internal decisions, their own internal emotions truth comes from inside them rather than externally, which has been the traditional and, of course, the biblical understanding of truth. Truth is not something that's sourced from within. It's revealed from without. It's revealed externally. Um, It's revealed in the Word of God. It's revealed in um, His created order. It's revealed in what we see around us so that we are without excuse. And churches in their in their efforts and and I I couldn't say that I couldn't say that that their you know hearts were in the wrong place their motivations were wrong or something I don't know I don't know it doesn't particularly matter but even if we even if we grant that that the motivation behind um, trying to please the world was was first and foremost to try to reach the world and of course that is a proper motivation the Great Commission is a proper motivation. When we decide that we're going to, we're going to take the reins. We're going to infuse our own methodology rather than biblical methodology to get this done. Um, that's when we, that's when we run into all sorts of problems, and that's what many many churches have done. Many churches have done this, and and, and I would argue almost every church has bought into this at least to an extent. And in light of these churches buying into this um, this this idea that that they're supposed to synchronize with the culture in order to reach it, we we see churches and Christian conversation and books and parachurch ministry and and missions and and all these different um, components of Christian living and Christian ministry uh, basically follow follow the the culture in terms of what it finds important and what its pet issues are it's not a coincidence that the the same um the same weak points in modern culture especially in western judeo-christian culture the same weak points are the same weak points that we see in the christian church so as the christian church or as the culture excuse me as the culture gives in to third wave feminism, the culture gives in to the LGBTQ agenda, and they wrap it up in um, in godly language. They wrap all of these things up in the language of love and and, and um, you know caring for others and um, being tolerant and all of these kinds of things. They they wrap it up in what in in language that, if biblically defined, is proper. Um, it is no it is no coincidence that the church in its attempt to synchronize with this falls into the same traps and one of those traps and we see this in you know multiple areas i mean you run the clock about 10 years ago and the trap was this trap was being set for the church in terms of so-called race relations 
um, came to it, it really came to a, a cultural head in the church um, a few years ago with uh, the death of George Floyd and you know in in 2020 the the sort of race rioting and um, the the inevitable result the ev- inevitable result of trying to promote justice on a subjective collective special interest group kind of level um, the, and the church was going right along with it and and still is to some degree I mean there are still plenty of woke church pastors who have bought the race reconciliation um, Kafka trap hook line and sinker in other words because these are white men who have bought into this there's nothing that they can do to actually reach a, a point of a point of solution or peace with the issue they will be forever um, they will be forever performing penance for uh, their sin of being white you know privileged white men which is the goal this is I mean it's not it's it's nothing different in its core than what Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton have been pushing for their entire grifting careers um, we, we, we saw this subjective um, this subjective uh, judiciability subjective justice being applied in that area and and then following that and most pointedly in the Southern Baptist Convention we saw the exact same quote-unquote justice the same social justice collective justice being worked out in the so-called SBC2 abuse survivor uh, movement and we saw it, it, it really took a lot of churches a lot of pastors off guard they didn't they didn't realize it was an issue because it wasn't an issue in their churches it wasn't an issue in their circles and yet they were constantly barraged with media and with other people in the convention and you know other people that had they, you know to be to be perfectly honest had their own motivations their own um, political purposes for doing what they were doing telling SBC churches and pastors all over the country that that sex abuse is a major issue in the Southern Baptist Convention and oh by the way um, we're going to we're, we're going to uh, take the tact that the convention the voluntary cooperate missionary uh, primarily missionary but also education cooperation of churches um, is, is somehow responsible for whatever the reality is behind um, these abuses going on at churches. However big or small they are, we're going to accept the notion that the, the Southern Baptist Convention has some sort of uh, role to play like any other denomination. Of, of course, not, not accepting or realizing or not being willing to stand behind the fact that that's not the case. And that it's not a denom- the Southern Baptist Convention is not a denomination. So you have all of these all of these pastors and churches and things, uh, local SBC churches who are now getting pushback from um, media informed, gaslit members of their congregations, coming to the pastors and saying things like, um, "Why are we still associated with the SBC? It's a haven of abusers." Don't, didn't you? Say, I mean, we don't we don't want to look like the Catholic Church. And their and their priests abusing boys kind of stuff that was going on 10, 20 years ago, however however long ago. We don't look like that, and and the pastors being taken off guard. Like what? Well, yeah, that's bad. And of course, in the in the back of their mind, or I should say, maybe in the back of their their culture of their process, 
there is still this motivation to be seen as good by the culture, be seen as acceptable by the culture. Um, if if the narrative is SBC is bad, SBC is full of abusers, I know we're a Baptist church, e- even if we don't say, you know, we're first Southern Baptist church of, of, you know, Poughkeepsie, whatever city, right? Even if we don't say we're SBC overtly, even the term Baptist gets us wrapped up with the SBC and the world thinks that we're a bunch of abuse supporters, that we, that we look the other way when there's abuse going on. And so we got to get rid of that. Again, this is all motivated by pragmatism. This is all motivated by, um, by a heart for uh, what do what do the lo- what do lost people think about us, or what is the prevailing falsehood and lies out there? It doesn't matter if it's true or not. What matters is does the world think it, and if the world thinks it, we have to respond to it. We have to do something different. We have to make changes. It's 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 not any different. Um, in terms of the technique, in terms of what's going on, it's not any different than the professional victimhood and the victimhood as virtue practiced by the race grifting industry. You know, the, the abuse incorporated, as I like to call it, is really a cottage industry at this point of supposed, because we don't actually get to ask questions here, we don't actually get to try to figure out what's true and what isn't true. Um, it's, it's an industry um, run by and, and serving abuse victims. And it can be anywhere from, and it has been, by the way, anywhere from real abuse, anywhere from like really sick stuff, which, which you know, thank God has been very rare, all the way up to, um, you know, such and such pastor or ministry leader looked at me the wrong way. Or said the wrong thing, and in, in, you know, said something I didn't like, and uh, that made me feel threatened. It can be, I mean, anywhere on that scale. And and how do we know this? Well, I mean, the two biggest abuse supposed cases, the two biggest, the the, the things that took up the most space in the guidepost report that the SBC commissioned a couple years ago, were the cases of. Um, David Sills and Jennifer Lyell, and then the the and then Johnny Hunt with this this younger pastor's wife. In neither case, and I and, you know, and I, I mean, I hate to offer this caveat because I'm I'm sick and tired of people offering caveats when they discuss these things, but I'm going to anyway. Um, you know, I I don't know. I mean, at the risk of I I don't want to I don't want to label these two things that like there wasn't sin involved. Obviously, there was sin involved, but that's a big difference between saying that um, David Sills and Jennifer Lyle's relationship, there was sin involved in it. It was inappropriate. It was, it was inappropriately intimate for two people not married to one another to be that close in that way. And the same thing with Hunt, Johnny Hunt and this other, this other pastor's wife. It was an inappropriate situation. There was sin involved. Shouldn't have happened. Shouldn't have been done. And yet we can also say at the same time, neither one of these were cases of sex abuse. Neither one of these cases were abusive just because we could say, well, one person had more quote-unquote power than the other. That's not how sin works. I mean, we, we know this particularly because the, the, the Bible's um, uh, incidents where this kind of thing happens show something very different. Bathsheba was held accountable for her sinful involvement with David even though he held the power. No, he didn't rape her, by the way. I don't want to chase that rabbit right now, but that's one good example. Eve, Eve was not let off the hook for her sin in 
um, eating from the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, she was not supposed to eat from just because the serpent deceived her. Just because the serpent uh, was was in the, you know, I would argue the more powerful position in that conversation, she's not off the hook for her responsibility to do the right thing, and neither are um, abuse you know, survivors, victims, and any, whatever capacity that they are off the hook for things that they've done wrong simply because they were sinned against. None of us are. And yet that is, that's, that's the, the version of justice. It really, and it's standpoint theory, it's standpoint justice being pushed on the Southern Baptist Convention, on evangelicalism as a whole, um, on these, um, you know, pastors who are, uh, sadly refusing to apply the kind of courage and, and the kind of intestinal fortitude needed to handle situations like this so that when a congregant comes up to them and says, oh, you know, I saw I saw in the Washington Post, I saw in Christianity Today that the SBC is full of abuse and, and we don't want to be supporting of that. And why is our church still part of the SBC when it's full of abusers? And it's, it, I mean, and, the, and then the pastors think, man, this really makes us look bad. We really look bad. Um, because this is going on, um, that's their motivation. They have, and they have no courage nor intestinal fortitude to actually study the issue for themselves, find out what's really going on, and then turn to that congregant and say, actually, you've been misinformed. Not only is sex abuse not rampant in the Southern Baptist Convention, and when, and, but we have, you, have, you need to understand what the Southern Baptist Convention is and isn't. We are an autonomous church. We voluntarily cooperate and give part of our giving to the Southern Baptist Convention for cooperative missions and education. Um, but they don't run us, and we are not—we are not taking responsibility, judicially or otherwise, for other churches that happen to also be part of that club, also be a church that gives some of their giving to the SBC. Uh, we don't take responsibility for what happens at that church. We don't take responsibility for um, their policies or um, you know an individual at their church sinning even in even in a in a uh, very serious and grotesque way. That's not on us. And so we we will stubbornly refuse not only to take responsibility for that, but we're going to refuse to render judgment from across the internet, from across the country, on a situation that we're not involved in. That's for that church. In the same way that we would expect other churches, other Christians across the country, to not attempt to render judgment on accusations made against somebody at our church. Because those things can happen whether they're true or not. Anybody can be accused of anything. We don't believe all accusers. We take accusations seriously and we investigate and we figure out the truth. So we're in no position when somebody brings an accusation, you know, we unless, you know, without firsthand knowledge, unless we are a witness or, or directly involved in it, you know, if, if we are even one step removed, we're in no position when that accusation first arrives um, from which to render any sort of judgment, to make any sort of uh, self-serving virtue signaling statement about, oh, this is awful, and man, this happens everywhere, and, uh, you know, I can't believe this would happen in the blah, 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 like, you don't even know that it happened. And, and yet because, because we have this, this underlying motivation with these pastors, with these churches, and, and, and with Christians generally, 
and it's only gotten worse because of the internet, because of social media. In fact, it's, it's become more rampant and individualized because of social media. It used to be prior, prior to the information age, prior to social media becoming um, just ubiquitous, that the church growth movement and the attractional church model uh, was institutional. Hey, churches are going to say things that they need to say and 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 craft their their sermons and their services a certain way to be attractional to the culture, attractional to the lost world around them. That that was done on an institutional level. Now we see it done on an individual level. You get on Facebook. You get on Twitter. Um, you get on, uh, you know, Instagram, whatever. You, you, your social network of choice, and each individual person there is acting almost as their own brand and their own institution with the exact same motivations. I will say what I need to say and put up the the face that I need to put up to garner virtue for myself. So when when um, somebody um, puts an accusation of abuse or this or that or whatever up on the internet, I don't go and bother to like wait and see what happens. I don't follow the proverb that says, you know, that says the first to plead his case seems right until another comes along and comes along and examines him. I don't follow that. I, I instead see this as an opportunity to earn some virtue points for myself. And I put up a social media post like, um, it's unbelievable that this would happen in churches and, and or, or some, some, broad-brushed collective accusation um, against a group of people. I can't believe, like, or something like, this is exactly what happens in uh, fundamentalist church culture, whatever, you know, whatever it is. I, I Basically, I see this as an opportunity to score points for myself, to make myself look good. Never mind that I actually don't know anything about the situation. Never mind that um, at, the, at the current level, it's just an accusation. Um, I, even if, even if I look at the situation, I say, well, um, there's an accusation out there. And because of that accusation, the institution that the person's involved with has removed them. I I presume that that institution then knows more than I do about the situation, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they've done the right thing. That doesn't necessarily mean that there isn't foul play involved in the judicial process. And yet I'm out on the, on social media, assuming I know the truth. This is, it's like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon version of justice. And the only thing that really matters at the end of this process is what do people think about me? What do people think is right or wrong? What are people, what are people accepting as right and wrong? As if somehow justice is determined by, by popularity rather than the biblical standard of justice, which is to actually find out the truth of what happened. And in, in terms of, I, I put a, and I'd recommend, I'd recommend you go read through this if you, if you're not on, if you're not on X on Twitter, um, then, you know, maybe I'll publish it somewhere else. Maybe put it in the, maybe put the thread in the, uh, in the Patreon, um, description because this podcast does go out into the open world, uh, for freeloaders in its entirety, but it also is posted on Patreon and, um, and I don't think there's room for that entire thread in a regular podcast description, but I might put it on Patreon. But if you're on Twitter, if you're on X, I'd recommend head over to uh, my Twitter um, profile, uh, CO Conservative Seven at, at CO Conservative Seven, and a thread that I recently put up that is um, starts with a screenshot of Krista Brown, who is 
um, I guess maybe the 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 the, the matriarch of SBC two, um, and Krista Brown. I I don't know if anybody has really confessed to um, what she says was done to her. Um, she says, I mean, she's in her I think her sixties or you know mid sixties, maybe seventies now. I'm not sure her exact age, but. Um, she, she claimed back in, I think it was 2004, 2005, that she was abused in, in an SBC church, you know, decades prior, of course. Um, and, of course, this happens long after the statute of limitations has expired, uh, which, which puts everybody in a pickle in terms of determining the truth or lack thereof of the situation. And, and of course, folks are then pressured to render judgment on it or or take the side of somebody in this because she's out saying this pastor did this and that and the other to me all all very well may be true um but i i don't know as i'm thinking about this driving down the road whether that pastor is admitted to anything um any anything that's abusive whether it was one of those gray area things where it's like a youth pastor and it's like hey the, the relationship or a youth leader or something where hey the, the relationship is inappropriate um, and there's there's plenty of sin involved, but it's not the same as rape or um, um, you know pedophilia or something like that. I don't know. Um, it should be said, by the way, before I forget about it, that the two biggest um, supposed demonstrations of the sex abuse rampant in the SBC, the two biggest cases investigated, the the Sills Lyell thing and the um, Johnny Hunt thing. Um, Neither party says that um, actual sexual intercourse happened. Neither party. Everybody knows that, like, Jen- the Jennifer Lyell thing, there was, a, I don't think there was any physical intimacy between the two people. It was, it was more like an inappropriately intimate, um, emotional affair, if anything else. And, and that's not to downplay that, like, that's not a big deal. But... You, you, you'd be forgiven for assuming that there was rape or that there was a, a, an ongoing sexual affair between the two people, and none of that was the case. And yet, we were supposed to accept that this was um, actionable. This that, that this was actionable sexual abuse um, against not David Sills, but or 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 I would argue even Jennifer Lyell, who was a grown woman by at the time. By the way. Um, but actionable against the institutions, actionable against the Southern Baptist Convention institutions, Southern Seminary or Executive Committee or whoever, they're supposed to be held responsible for this emotional affair that happened between two two, uh, sinning yet consenting adults. Um, But yeah, so now I'm trying to remember where I was. I I digress. this this is the but this is the environment in which the evangelicalism finds itself, uh, where victimhood is virtue. Oh yes, I'm sorry. Now now I'm back on the. I, I'd recommend you go read um, the the tweet thread that I put up earlier today, but um, Krista Brown tweets out, and again I, I've. I have no ability to know whether what she's saying is true or not, how true it is, what parts of it are true. I don't, I don't know that. But of course, it, in in light of being unable to actually figure it out, we are required to apparently, morally required to accept whatever the uh, purported victim, the survivor, the abused person says is true. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, if we don't, if we if we even 
offer the caveat of, um, I don't know if it's true or not, or she's an alleged victim, or um, these are the, ale- the her alleged claims were, were basically um, painted as uh, somehow abuse supporters. Now, never mind the fact that there are very clear examples in this very conversation, in the Southern Baptist Convention, of um, supposed abuse victims that, that are making the whole thing up. Or, or making up the major important parts of it to try to scandalize and to try to um, gather up virtue for themselves and strong arm um, institutions into giving them things, institutions that weren't even involved into giving them things. Uh, Hannah Kate Williams is a good example of that. I have yet to see, I've said this before, I have yet to see a single shred of evidence, anything that that young woman is saying is true. I haven't seen any evidence of it. She has yet to present any evidence publicly that any of it's true other than stuff she's saying. And when you line that up with things she said that are that are manifestly ridiculous and false, manifestly comically made up, um, she has no credibility. No credibility. Um, that didn't stop Grant Gaines from using her as a prop in 2021 to start off this whole fiasco. And why did he do that? Because he saw an opportunity... He saw an opportunity because the culture was focused on feminism and Me Too, Harvey Weinstein, um, uh, uh, abuse in the workplace by men against women. The culture was focused on this. He saw an opportunity to um, be the first to the table to confront this supposed scourge um, also going on in the SBC. And this was for the purpose of... um, setting himself and his allies up to take control of the convention. To take control of the convention by guilting the messengers into thinking this is a major issue and only Grant Gaines and his buddy and his and his white knight buddies can possibly solve it. That was the purpose. And anybody, um, even even abuse survivor Mike Stone, who was running for SBC president at the time, who might step back and say, hey this is important but justice requires a process in figuring out not just emotional accusations and assumptions. Anybody that would say that was then characterized as an abuse supporter and not taking the issue seriously somehow. That was the purpose. It was a political move. And the chickens are coming home to roost, fortunately, on some of this. But the, the, the gravy train of Abuse Incorporated continues... Um, you know, we know who the major figures in this 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 industry, and that's what it is—the cottage industry. We know who the major figures are, and we know the unbiblical and subjective and unfalsifiable standards that they use in order to shame people and guilt people into granting them authority and power and virtue, of course. So Krista Brown tweets out something along the lines of, "I'm going to have to paraphrase because it's not in front of me," but something along the lines of. Um, I don't know how any SBC pastor can talk about um, justice or righteousness with a straight face. Something like that. Basically just just a broad brush smearing of any pastor whose church happens to be um, affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention is apparently a hypocrite if they even talk about righteousness and justice. Now, why, why would this be the case? Well, because in the, the subjective... Um, uh, standpoint theory, um, collective justice, the social justice paradigm 
that these groups work within, again, to, to, um, to shame people and wrest power from people based off of groups in that paradigm, um, any, any malfeasance by anybody in the Southern Baptist Convention at an institutional level, whether it's actually in a convention institution or simply a church that happens to give them money, you know, member of the club, we, should, we probably should say it that way, um, any, any, any provable or credible accusation against them smears everybody. Everybody is guilty. You are guilty by, by the fact that you hold the same convictions, the same theological confession as a church where a problem happened. You are now equally guilty of that. And what we have to get to is that there's two motivations as I, as I get to the end of this Bully Pew podcast, and I appreciate, appreciate you hanging out with me this long as I rant about this driving down the highway. <laughs> um, we, we, we have to realize that there are two primary motivations going on here. Maybe, maybe three. We could say three. Um, but, I mean, two are so closely related that we could certainly, we could certainly describe them together. But they're the same motivations that, that motivate um, all sorts of sinful behavior. It's power and it's money is one of them. Power and money. And that's, that's power over the institutions. It's the money that the institutions collect for, for missions and for education. That's part of it. And, um, and the other motivation is um, uh, being against biblical teaching and doctrine in the areas of, in the areas of gender, in the areas of justice. Um, there, there is a theological motivation behind a lot of this as well that, that synergizes with this, with the motivation for power and money. And by the way, um, we could, we could even tack a, a, another motivation onto this as well. Um, but it really is related to the power motivation. It's the, yeah, institutional power and money is part of it, but there's also personal power, personal authority, personal influence, Online and this influences not only some of the biggest voices in the conversation. This influences the smaller voices in the conversation. We talked about earlier on this podcast how the same um, um, world concern. What does everybody think about me? I need to look good in front of everybody. Motivations that motivate the church growth movement and the 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 market driven church where, hey, what the world thinks about us is a, of primary concern to um, our worship practices, primary concern to our ministry is what the world thinks about us. This also works out on an individual level on social media. What, and, and the thing is, the whole, the, the whole thing is a, it's, a, it's a mirage. For all of the times people on social media think, oh man, whatever I say here, everybody's looking at it and they all really care and everybody's, everybody's gone by this and if I don't get enough likes, it means everybody saw it and didn't like it. Um, that, that, that's all, that's all fake for, for every time we think that we, we fail very often to put, um, put the shoe on the other foot and, um, and realize that, um, that we don't look at other people's posts that way. Like I, I saw a bunch of things on, on X, on Twitter, as I was, you know, writing the thread that I was writing and, 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 and putting those things down that I don't even remember. Two seconds later, I don't remember. And yet those, the, the folks that wrote them are in their mind struggling with this idea that, oh, every, everybody saw what I said and they're really concerned about it. And that, that's the, 
that's the motivation for influence and power and respectability happening on an individual level. And, and fundamentally, psychologically, emotionally, um, the, the forces are the same as they are on the institutional level. So yes, while we have the, the motivation to, um, rest control of the institutions from some people who are politically motivated, we have money motivation um, it's also, it's, it's a power and influence game, which is why the gravy train, as I like to call it, um, of abuse incorporated will never stop. It will never be satisfied. If we could ever demonstrate that, that, Hey, all abuse survivors, justice has been done in all these places. And, um, now we have a proper, uh, view and procedure for how to handle justice, um, how to handle these issues when something else comes up later. If, if we ever reach that point where, hey, we have it figured out and that doesn't involve a blank check for abuse incorporated, a blank check for um, those who seek victimhood um, for virtue and for power, um, it won't satisfy them. It will, it, you know, as, and, and in the, in the race reconciliation conversation, they've admitted this multiple people involved have admitted that a racism is never done. It can never be done away with. It can never be done away with, which is just their, their, um, virtuous way of saying you will always owe me, um, certain disfavored groups will owe, supposedly disenfranchised dis, disfavored groups will always be owed something by those, uh, favored groups. You know, un, until we reach full equity, which of course, you know, deep down they know will never, never occur. Certainly if we're Christians, they know it will never occur. Full equity will never be realized. And so there will be a continued spigot of transfer of power and influence and wealth and, <clears throat> and virtue from one group to another. In the case of race reconciliation, it's from primarily white men um, to other disfavored groups. And in the case of um, Me Too or Abuse Incorporated, as its its current manifestation in places like the Southern Baptist Convention, it will always be um, those in uh, institutional power, those in institutional power being uh, supposedly guilty by guilty by um, just by their nature and required to um, continually render penance to those who can. Um, convince enough people that they're victims, whether it's true or not, may be true, but that's not the point. They don't actually, it doesn't actually have to be true. Primarily it has to be convincing primarily in the, in the modern, in, in the online conversation, I should say. And then of course you have folks like, um, Grant Gaines and, and, and the platform SBCers who are in this case playing the role of the, of, um, the Democrat party. The same way that the same way that Democrats have for generations gone to minority groups and say and said, if you elect us, if you get get us in power, we will fix this for you. We will make sure you get what you're due. We will make sure that we take take from this group over here the one percent or whatever and give it to you. Of course, it never comes to fruition. The 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 platform elite, if we can even call them that, because the SBC is not as influential as we in the you know in the conversation um, sometimes think that it is. But the the SBC platform big Eva types are the Democrats in this situation, looking to the um, abuse incorporated or or abuse survivor community. And you know again, we know they're real abuse survivors. I'm not. I this conversation isn't about that. But they look to that community and say. Um, 
really no no matter how true any of this is true not true anywhere in between we will we will fix this for you if you if you give us power if you let if you put us on committees if you give us um trustee positions and um, institutional leadership and things, we will be the ones to really take this seriously. Not like those conservatives over there that keep prattering on with their old fashioned notions of, of due process. No, we will, we will make this happen. We will wave our magic wand. We will believe everything you say, every bit of emotionality that comes out of you, we will take as, as tangible fact. And, and we will, we will put this, we will write this ship. We will put this back in place. Of course, what they're offering isn't even possible. It's not possible. It's a it's a pipe dream. It's a mirage. It can't actually occur um, because there are st- there are still real processes of justice that have to be dealt with, and that's that's what we're finding now. Now we're finding just as many um, legal problems and lawsuits coming from those who who have been who claim they have been falsely accused, falsely characterized, lied about, slandered. Um, just as many legal problems coming from that side because these platform elites refuse to stand up for not only the truth of how the SBC was what it actually is, but they refuse to stand up for true justice. True justice is not believe all accusers. Never has been. True justice is listen to them and then investigate and find out the truth. Find out if if it's a true accusation or a false one. And then... um, go through that process. That's what it's supposed to be. That's always what it's um, supposed to have been. And I mean, the, the, the SBC and really in some ways, in some ways, the messengers not educating themselves about these issues more thoroughly have brought this upon themselves. But I have pastor friends of mine. I have friends, friends of mine who are pastors in the SBC that, that I kid you not are are more concerned about affiliation with the SPC because of the abuse allegations because because the world around them is is labeling the SPC as a haven of abusers they're more concerned about that than they are about the SPC going woke than they are about the SPC t- teaching um, critical race theory in the seminaries than they are about the SPC um, looking the other way when churches have women pastors in direct contradiction to scripture. When, when SBC churches are um, capitulating to the LGBTQ agenda and teaching their congregations things like, um, like, like as long as you don't act gay, as long as you don't act it out, you haven't sinned, but you, you're still going to bear these, these desires for the rest of your life, and that's okay. That actually might be your cross to bear. We have SBC churches teaching that. We have SBC churches baptizing homosexuals into fellowship. And, and yet I have SBC pastor friends of mine who are more concerned about about disassociating with the SBC because of what's printed in the Washington Post. They're, they're more concerned about disassociating, disassociating with the SBC because the world thinks it's a bunch of, acu- of, of, of abusers. Not only that, they, even if they disassociated with the SBC, some of them are unwilling to continue to um, call their churches Baptist. They're saying, we've got to get rid of the name Baptist because the world apparently has successfully smeared that, that word enough. We're tired of taking the phone calls from ignorant congregation members or the phone calls from people who aren't even members of our church, but they say things like, well, I might come to your church. It seems really nice, but, but it's a Baptist church. And I know from the Washington Post and, and um, Daily Beast, and I know, I know from, um, 
from the New York Times that the SBC is a place where abuse happens all over the place. And so um, that's Baptist churches are places where abusers are. And how do you know this? Well, because the lost world, the pagan world told me that this was the case. And these pastors won't, they, they won't stand up and say that isn't true. I know it isn't true because I've done the research and those are false allegations. Here, let me tell you about church autonomy. Let me tell you about what the Bible teaches about our church being an autonomous body of believers, a self-governing autonomous body of believers whose only, um, only Lord is Christ. We don't bow before the Southern Baptist Convention. They don't run us. You know, we, instead of the educational opportunity that this can and should be for pastors to go to their congregations and say, let's, let's do a, let's do a Bible study or let's do a, let's do a catechism or, um, even a sermon series on why church autonomy is biblical and important and what it teaches us about, um, Jesus Christ being the only mediator between God and man about the, the unity of the body at the foot of the cross, about there, there not being male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, we're all one in Jesus Christ. Let, let, let's have a sermon series about why that leads us to, be, to believe in church autonomy, why we don't believe, why, why we don't um, submit ourselves to a denominational authority between our church and Jesus Christ. And instead of taking that opportunity, they're running scared. They, they, they can't stand up to the culture. They can't stand up to the, the, the accusations and, and being smeared as if somehow they're down the road, they're going to find the, the magic formula that makes the world love them. They're going to find the magic way that the world never accuses Christians of being hateful. Somehow, somehow, even as they supposedly, if they're faithful, are preaching against the rampant sin of homosexuality, the rampant sin of abortion, the rampant sin of um, sexual perversion in the culture at large, the rampant, the rampant sins of um, preaching false gospels, prosperity gospel, word of faith heresies, um, charismatic insanity, um, false miracles, uh, all of the things that they can and should see in the culture and be prepared to answer and preach against and fight back against, they're running scared because someone in, the, someone in their congregation or even out of the congregation said, hey, you're in the SBC, therefore you're an abuse supporter. They, they can't even defend that. And, and, they, and they think, what, somehow that if, if, hey, if, they, if they kick this can down the road, if they say, I'm, I'm unwilling to have that conversation, it's better off if we, just, if we just stop being Baptist. We just disassociate with Baptist, you know? I mean, people think Baptist is bad, so we should probably just stop being Baptist. What, what, do they think that there's, there's some magical place down the road where the world isn't going to say, yeah, but you're Christians? You're hateful because you're Christians. You're you're evil because you're Christians. You're unloving because you're Christians. Because Christians preach the full counsel of God's word. And the same people that are coming to you right now and saying, they're saying, um, I'm not going to come to your church because it's unloving. Well, it's unloving because you guys are Southern Baptist or, or even you're just Baptist on the name. And I know Baptists are abusers because the New York Times told me. It, the New York Times told me you're abusers, and I just, I just don't want to be associated with that. It will be the same person that after you've jettisoned that will come and say, hey, so I heard that your church preaches against homosexuality. I, I, heard, I heard that you don't think gays can be married. 
well, I can't go to a church like that. That's unloving. That's unloving. I mean, you know, and, and some churches have already given into this, obviously, but even in spirit, some churches have given into it. They stop calling themselves churches. They take the cross off the, off the, off the steeple or whatever. They're doing things from a heart motivation, a heart motivation that is, um, let me please the world. Churches disassociating with the SBC because people think it's a bunch of abusers when they know better or should know better are doing so from a sinful heart motivation that says our church exists to please the lost world. That's the truth. You might not like me saying it, but it's the truth. When you say something like, uh, well, we, we really need it. We're going to keep practicing the exact same thing that Baptists have practiced for generations, but we really need to take Baptists out of the title of the church because the world thinks it's bad. That is a sinful heart motivation because that same world that's pointing the finger at you right now is not going to stop pointing that finger until you get rid of everything that's distinctive about being a true Christian church. They're not done with you. Yeah, yeah, you you may have disassociated with the SBC, you may have gotten Baptist out of the out of the name of your church, um, you may have softened your preaching on on holiness, on morality, on s- sexual immorality that has pervaded our culture. Yeah, you you can soften all of that, but they're not done because they're lost. You cannot reach the lost by pleasing them. It's not your job anyway. Your job is to be faithfully proclaiming the gospel, faithfully evangelizing, faithfully proclaiming, especially in church, especially with the body of believers, discipling them with the full counsel of God's word. And when they come to you and say, you know, I didn't like that, Pastor. That was that was uh, that that seemed unloving and sinful. And and couldn't you have just said that a little bit better and been a little bit nicer? This you say no. That's what the Bible teaches, and that's what I teach. And if you, you have a problem with that, it's not with me. It's with God who wrote, who inspired the very words of scripture or God breathed. Your issue is with the God who made you, not the pastor who was the vehicle by which that truth was delivered. So I, I I hope this conversation has been helpful to you, everybody. I realize I've gone a little bit long, but the, these issues are all related and we're, we're, yeah, we're, we're going to, as I always say at the end of all of these, we're going to keep diving into this. Keep talking about it. We're, we're, we are unafraid here. Um, and frankly, frankly, a little miffed, to be quite honest with you. This is too, it has been an ongoing, ongoing issue. It has been an ongoing issue and it continues to be an ongoing issue. Weak need, um, cultural, culturally capitulating, world-pleasing churches and pastors. It's related to that, and they've given they've given up um, on this issue of uh, abuse grifting the same way they've given up on racial reconciliation, the same way that they've capitulated on the LGBTQ issue. It is all related, and it is all um, it is all based off of uh, trying to be like the world to please the world for institutional power, authority. Um, for people to like them and it's frankly it disgusts me i hope it disgusts you as well thank you so much for listening to the bully pew podcast for protestia.com i am david morrill your host um stay tuned to protestia for all the latest in christian polemics and discernment news have a good thursday go to church on sunday and worship with the saints as always semper reformanda